welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. Big time episode for you today, guys. We have all of our breakouts for the 2023 season. Richie and I are going to go over the top essentially 250 players, all of the guys that we like. So get ready for a very big episode. Excited for today. Uh, Richie, how are you doing today, bud? How's it going, Matt? Um, probably my favorite episode to do every single year. We get to go ahead, tell you who we like, who we don't like. And I like to reflect at the end of the year and see how we did. And I think we did pretty well last year. Um, we did a couple board bets. The big one was Dan B. Swanson versus Francisco Lindor, which I unfortunately lost. So maybe uh, during this show, we can come up with a, a few bets for this season. I'm looking forward to it. I think there's a couple guys that we disagree on this year. So it'll be nice to see which person has the better take on them. Well, yeah, and I, I think that one was so fun for us last year because, you know, I was banking on a Francesco Lindor bounce back, and I think you were kind of betting against that. And Well, well it was more so on, because it was strictly home runs, I was expecting Francesco Lindor to come back with the average and not the power. And I predicted Dansby Swanson to increase his power, um, but... Yeah, it just wasn't. I think it was one home was run one. short. It was like yeah. twenty six to twenty seven or something like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So it was that was right. I was right about Dansby Swanson, but I just was not expecting that out of Francisco Lindor. But it worked out well for me because I ended up with him in our dynasty league. So I'll yeah. take it. Yeah, well, and I remember. I remember when we were doing our auction draft. Yeah, you um, bid me up like an extra six dollars. I mean, I had no, I had no choice. You know, like I I had my money literally on Frankie, and I genuinely believed in a big bounce back and where he was originally going much like you know years past where we see an individual player where guys just aren't bullish on you know just sitting at that 9 10 13 dollar value and it's like you can't let that happen especially if there's a guy you believe in who has yeah, the track yeah. record but uh we I, are... I never asked you before we move on did you strictly bid me up on Francisco Lindor, did you actually try to acquire him and you just gave up? Well, I never asked you what your motive was last year in that draft. Well, in any auction, I mean, including the auction draft that we're going into this year where my, you know, my budget is, is very thin because it's a dynasty format. Um, if there's a player that is far and away under cutting value, I'm going to go after them whether I need them or not. Because to think about getting Francisco Lindor for, say, $12, say, last year, I will find a way to play him, whether it's at utility or maybe my shortstop doesn't work out, right? Because going into last year, I had Wander Franco, who was great through April and then got hurt, you know, so that would have been a filler position. But even even say Salvador Perez is out there this year, which he's not, and he's sitting at like four, five, six dollars because, again, this is dynasty. So, you know, it's very different than traditional redraft auction. You're damn right. I'm going after Salvador Perez. I don't need him. Probably can't use him right away, or maybe you know, I if I had say a regular catcher, he's now my utility, but I just can't allow that value to slip away. And in the process, I knock two birds out with one stone. I also continue to increase the value of the bid. So if I don't get him, someone is at least paying the absolute premium that the the draft and the lobby could push for. Yeah, no, I agree. I just wanted to ask because I don't think I've actually formally asked you, so I might as well do it while we're live on the air. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so we are going to do things a little differently. Um, you know, you and I have spoken and we want to kind of distinguish ourselves from other podcasts. You know, we have a small listener base right now. So those of you who are listening, we appreciate you very, very much. And we hope one day that you will look back on these fond memories and these 
fond listening experiences as we are uh, kings of the fantasy world. But in the meantime, we do need to make some shifts. Uh, we're going to try to be more con- conversational, you know, as opposed to just strictly analyzing and breaking things down um, kind of robotically. So we're going to try and do that today. This intro is kind of obviously the back and forth, but uh, as we continue to record, we hope to get better at that. So kind of hang with us as it becomes a little bit more natural. But kind of with that being said, Richie, I wanted to start off real quick before we jump into our actual lists here and just kind of get your opinion on the World Baseball Classic. Because for me, watching the clips that I've seen so far online, very exciting. And these players seem to be very, very, very bought into the competition. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I haven't seen every game, but I've seen the highlights. And it's good to see players give it their all. Um, I do get worried a little bit about the injury risk. I saw Nolan Arenado try to beat out, I think it was a double play, and he extended super hard for first base. Obviously, he was safe, but he, like, fell over. And I was like, oh, God, he's going to get injured before spring training's even done with. But I, I like to see the competition. It's good to see it this early instead of people just kind of, you know, warming up, getting used to baseball and spring training. It gives a little added flair and everybody's, um, really motivated. Um, so it's very interesting. I want to see who comes out of it on top, as long as it's not great Britain with those horrible jerseys. Dude, of theirs. I don't know. I don't terrible. know if we saw, they're literally just gray jerseys with black block text that yeah. just says great Britain on it. Just like, I don't it reminds that. me of when we played rec, rec football, uh, football yeah. and I made Jersey and they were just like some font <laughs> that was italicized and under, <laughs> underscore. But, but even that had like thought put into it. it. It literally looked like they ran to the press and said, whatever you have. Times New Roman. Them. Times New Roman. I don't care. Nike sent these to us without the name on the front. Oh, my God. Well, and in the same game that you were talking about with Arenado, I think it was the same game at least, but uh, Arenado doubled on the left field line and Goldschmidt actually scored. But I watched Goldie kind of round third. And I mean, he was full on, you know, accelerating locomotive down the tracks and i was like holy shit like to kind of your point with arnado i was like i'm kind of concerned that he's gonna get hurt here but that was what's exciting like it feels like playoff baseball for these guys and there was a comment made on another publication regarding uh, it may have actually been a coach's interview regarding how he felt like the players it was elvis andrews actually on a telecast white Sox brewers elvis andrews was being interviewed and he was saying how he felt like the guys in the World Baseball Classic actually are at such an advantage coming into the season. I really didn't understand that because you would think, okay, they're not getting the same kind of hacks, they're not getting the same repetition, but when you watch these guys play, you understand exactly what he meant. They're going to come into the season fresh out of competition and real playoff competition, and that's got to be way better than anything spring training can give you because spring training is honestly a layup for any veteran. So I'm really excited for a lot of the players that are playing in the World Baseball Classic because I think they're going to start off April, and I think they're going to start off real hot. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about it from that perspective, but it makes total sense when I'm watching some of these spring training games. Yeah, you have your starters in for the first two or three innings, and then guess what? They put in their double-A, triple-A players to get them some experience until they go get some back down to the minors. So that makes total sense. and. The guys in the World Baseball Classic are playing for something where spring training doesn't matter. The ums can walk off before the game even ends. Did you hear about that the other week? Yeah, but I mean, and that's but it's, a, that's that's what I mean. Though. Like the competition, it's, like yeah. it's just they just don't care. They don't care. And, and no, fully. And and also, you think about starting pitching from the perspective, right? Like 
Corbin Burns is out there, maybe he faces two or three starters in the opposing lineup and probably a single A player, a double A player, a couple of triple A players like you know, you talk about Otani. Um, I think Sandy Alcantara's performance, I think it was just yesterday, got absolutely lit up. And it's like, those are major league players hitting you. You know, like, that's Anthony Santander hitting an absolute nuke off you. And I was like, okay, like, you know, we're going to get to this in a little bit here, but number one name on my busts is Sandy Alcantara, and he was there before yesterday. So really interesting to see some of these pitchers having to be forced into immediate action against major league hitting. I think it's only going to benefit them, though, come regular season because, hey, you've gotten the rust off. You've, you've, you've gotten blown up in the World Baseball Classic. So absolutely love it for the sport, and I think, I think there's a really good chance in 20 years. And God, Richie, we're going to be 50 in 20 years. That's sad. Um, <laughs> I think this could be one of those things where you see you know, extreme growth, and I think you could see you know, more packed stadiums, more – nationalistic views for the excitement like we saw with Mexico and the U.S. and we saw for uh, Dominican Republic and Venezuela. And I think it's beautiful because baseball now is a world sport, and I know it's more of a Western hemisphere sport, but if we can continue to grow the game, this can be a real enjoyable experience, much like the um, NBA version of this, right? The dream team, the Olympic gold medal chase. Like Football doesn't have that. Basketball's kind of dying out. Baseball, if they can take that world stage, they can take market share. So very exciting, and I can't wait to watch more of it. Yeah, and I definitely think the new changes uh, with the pitch clock and the added bases and the limited pickoffs are going to help the game. Saw a layover of, I can't remember the pitcher, but he pitched an entire inning compared to, well, it was a reliever from the World Series. Before he even pitched one pitch, he did like two pickoffs and then was just staring at the batter. And they overlaid it with somebody pitching from spring training and he got through a whole inning or half inning, I should say, before that one pitch was done. And it's just like, that's crazy because there's just so much more action. That's what today's society is used to being on your phones, quick internet. You like fast action football. It's fast and it's um, entertaining. Same with basketball, I think. Baseball is going to pick up viewership because of the quick action with pitches after pitch within 20 seconds. And I think that's going to be good for the game. I'm curious to see how players adapt to it um, as far as the longevity because your body can't rest like um, competitive repetitions on that shoulder for a pitcher. How does that limit them long term? That, that's my only concern, but we'll see. Yeah, and I think I think we'll you know we'll assess that as as the next few years go by, and um, a couple other publications have talked about this as well, and this kind of bleeds into our our segment for breakouts and sleepers and busts. But this is supposed to be the first full season that we know of that we're going into a non-juice ball era, and with all the rule changes, we can now revert back to drafting the way we used to draft, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, before we just assumed that every batter that we picked up off the waiver wire would hit 20 home runs. So it'll be an exciting year to kind of rebuild that foundation for in which the way you play the game. Also, while paired with this new foundation of rules within Major League Baseball, it's a very exciting time. I think the next five years should bring in a lot of new viewership. I think the next five years will be a testament of what kind of growth and, and data analytics they can put into the game. And and I think one of the final hurdles is blackouts. We've talked about that a lot last year. I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot this year. Um, you know, in, in market blackouts, out of market blackouts, those are things that are really hindering baseball and viewership. But 
things that I think will be addressed eventually. So Richie, I think it's time. Um, we're going to get into breakouts to start off. You have a bunch. I have some, I have a few that I'll probably add in. I think we kind of want to steer this around who you have. So go ahead, give me your first couple names, explain to me why, um, and we'll kind of kick it off. Yeah, before we get into that, I, I just want to tell the listeners and you my definition of a breakout. When I think breakout, I think of a player, regardless of where you draft them, they're going to have a career year, like their best possible outcome. They're going to reach maximum um, ability or whatever you want to call it, um, as opposed to a sleeper. When I think sleeper, I think somebody who's going to outproduce their draft value, whether you draft them at 200, they could outproduce that and become a, a 150 player. But if I'm calling a draft player at 200 a breakout, I'm thinking they're going to bounce into that top 50, top 75, and they're going to give you the best outcome you could possibly expect. And if they're going to continue that breakout, that is yet to be seen. But I think that's what you're going to expect from them at their ceiling from here on out. I don't know if you agree, Matt. Do you want to give your your take on breakouts and sleepers before I get into my list? Yeah, and it's funny because you know the biggest publication that you and I have listened to over the last 10 years has been CBS's uh, podcast on fantasy baseball. Fantastic, I love them. You know, that's kind of I think what we would love to be one day, and kind of what we got really got us in, in enjoying baseball, fantasy baseball more, and you know got us to this point. But it made it very confusing for many years what their breakouts and their sleepers and their busts were. And I think this is kind of the fun exercise while writing this up. Um, I now know what mine are because I've always myself been a little gray. <clears throat> so for me, breakout players, players that will outperform their expectations. This does not necessarily mean their draft value is a steal. Now, that means that at 298 or 64 or 12, you, I think you could outperform your essential draft spot. And I think some of these players have a fluctuating variant rate of exactly how much of a breakout you're going to have. But I guess I'm just expecting that if I'm going to take you at, you know, let's say 190 with Jose Miranda, I'm expecting you to be a top 10 player. You know, if I'm taking you at 298 with Anthony Volpe, I'm expecting you to provide me value this season. Probably, a, you know, a replacement level injury or maybe you slide into second base and that breakout essentially is going to be, you know, a production level that I think is startable. Um, and now at 12 with Kyle Tucker, I think you're going to perform at a top one, two, three ability. So keep in mind, again, players that will outperform their expectations. This does not mean that their draft value is a steal. And for this exercise today, we've chosen to use Scott White's head-to-head -head points league rankings on CBS. So if you want to reference any of the, the numbers that we throw out there, or you kind of want to build your own list, that's definitely the one we used and both of us have. So you'll be able to, to see and showcase your, uh, some of the things we say today off CBS's website. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so I have 14 breakouts. Um, we obviously don't have time to go into each one of them, but I'll start off with my first one, and that's Adley Rutschman. According to his rankings, he's 56th overall. I think Adley Rutschman, this is his breakout year. Um, I don't even know where to start with him, but you look at what he's done over his career and throughout the minors, he hasn't struck out more than 20%. He walks above 10% in that 15% range. Last year, when he reached the 
majors. He had 254 and had 13 home runs. I think we're looking at the next version of JT Real Muto is when he's in his prime. I think we're looking at somebody who's going to hit between 275, 300, and I think he easily gets the 25 home runs, and I think he pushes 35. When he was on the prospect list as the first overall, he had a 65-grade power for MLB and a 60-grade hit tool out of 80. That's phenomenal for a catcher. I think I don't think there's anybody who has as much upside as him. I don't see much downside with that walk rate, the strikeout rate, and what he did as he ascended through the minors. You got to think at the beginning of 2022, he started at high A and moved all the way to the MLB. Um, I just think the sky's the limit for this guy. Any thoughts on him, Matt? Yeah, I think what you're talking about here is, you know, the new prototypical catcher top five that you can bank on every single year. And I think what we will find with Adley Rutschman is his career will change as he gets older. I would expect more power as he enters his late 20s, you know, early 30s. Right now, I would expect more of that balanced player. And it's hard, too, with Rutschman because he was touted so heavily coming out, um, I think, of Oregon State. And we now have a very crowded catching position with all of this young talent emerging. So, you know, you take Rutschman five years ago and you plop him in this fantasy rankings. I probably have him much higher for the simple fact that it was such a scarce position. It's not as scarce anymore. But I, I do still think that you're going to get a great player with Rutschman. Um, in terms of drafts this year, I am staying away from for the sole fact that we have so much value all over the board. But that doesn't mean I don't think he's a breakout. I agree. I'm depending on where I'm at in the draft. He's somebody I'm targeting because I think he is the next JT Riumito. I think this time next year, we're talking about drafting him within the top 30, 40 picks when I think he outproduces that 56 ranking by Scott White. And depending on what site you play on, he might go lower than that because Scott White is also higher on him as well. Um, so well, that's my first real, breakout. Real quick. Oh, so I want to see what you think of this. So, you know, a few of the industry guys last year were really hyping Salvador Perez, right? Like, we heard it from multiple publications, and it didn't work out well. And it didn't work out well because Salvi, Salvi didn't have a good season. But I guess I want to ask you, do you really think the catcher position can make that big of an impact if it does work out? And I guess the correlation that I'm going to attach here is I would say catcher to me at least the last few years, is very similar to tight end, Travis Kelsey, you know, Mike, uh, Mike Andrews. Like, do you see the same thing, or do you not have enough data to know if catcher provides that much of an impact? I think, well, especially if you're playing in categories, I don't think anybody else comes close to providing all of, the, like, at least four categories. Yeah, Rutschman might get you a few steals. He had four. Um, stolen bases in 113 games last year. So he's not a zero, but I don't think you can rely on him to get you 15 to 20. Um, but, but I think he's solid everywhere else. He's going to give you the runs, the RBIs in a growing Orioles offense. He's got the power. He's going to provide the average. I think as far as young catchers go, I think it's him and Will Smith. And then after that, you got Salvador and Perez, or Salvador Perez and JT Real Muto, who are on a decline because they're getting older, and we're relying on Alejandro Kirk, MJ Melendez. They have their own question marks. I don't think there's any, as anybody who's as reliable. Yes, there's Francisco Alvarez, and there's a lot younger guys out there, but they're not up. They haven't proven it at the majors yet, so it's still yet to be seen. 
especially with catcher too, you have to think they have to pitch frame. They have to learn how these new pitchers operate. So that's an, an added feature and they don't play every, every day. Adley Rutschman had, let's see, 113, 125, 128, 132 games through minors and majors last year. That's, I mean, I don't know. That, that's pretty, pretty good for a catcher in my eyes. You're not going to get a catcher who's going to play all 162 games, but if they can give you 130, 140 games, I'm all over that. Sign me up. Well, yeah, and you know, I'll kind of just jump in real quick here. That's one of my my big breakouts this year is MJ Melendez at 163 for exactly the reason you just said. The more playing time you get out of that catching position, the more opportunity you have to have an impact. And MJ Melendez possibly sharing time at DH, possibly playing time in the outfield as well as you know spelling Salvador Perez probably catching more days than Perez because Perez is getting a little bit older. I think MJ Melendez at 163 for me provides almost the same value as it sounds like Allie Rutschman provides for you. And I've never in the catching position ever overvalued the top few guys because, again, I'm more points league dominant. I really only prefer to play points. So the interchangeableness of MJ Melendez and Allie Rutschman, when you really look at their slash lines and the points they produce, it's more similar than it would be in a roto league where I need JT Real Muto steals. I can't afford to have a guy that's not going to steal me bases. You know, and you you look at again basis off leagues, everything's a little different. So give me a couple oh, I more hear, of your, your I, I hear you. But before we move on, I just want to clarify just because I think he's breaking out doesn't necessarily mean I'm targeting him in every draft because I do feel there's value in there. I just simply think if you're going to get him in that 50 to 60 range, I think he will provide value for you if that's what you want to do with your draft. Um, I do have a draft in a couple of weeks where it's categories head to head. So he may be somebody, I mean, he's definitely on my watch list as far as catchers go, but depending on my needs, I might need a second base or I might need a shortstop before that falls off. And if, if that's the case, I'm going to have to take somebody like that or before first base drops off because like you said, if I miss out on Adley Rutschman, I can go and get an MJ Melendez or Alejandro Kirk. Yes, they have question marks, but the drop-off between Adley Rutschman and them is not as severe as going from, um, now I'm trying to think like Corey Seager all the way down to a Tim Anderson or something yeah. like that. So it, it depends on how the draft goes. But I do think if you get Adley Rutschman, he will outproduce what is expected of him. So moving along, uh, my breakouts, I'm, I'm going to list the next five here um, and talk a, a little bit about two of them, um, just because I know they're, these other guys are on your list and you love them way more than I do, so I'll let you have all the glory. But my next one is Corbin Carroll at uh, ranking 64. I'll let you talk about him because that is your boy. The next one is Eloy Jimenez at 66. George Kirby at 94, and O'Neill Cruz at 98. And those are all my breakouts within the top 100. So not as many, but there's not as many guys that I feel as confident that are going to break out outside of this group here. Eloy at 66, simply Tony LaRusse is out. There's talk that he's going to play more DH, so I like that he can stay healthy. And he lost, I think, 10 to 15 pounds. Um over the off season in order to stay healthy. I like that. And for the simple fact of he hasn't, I'm trying to pull it up now, but he hasn't had that full season yet. He's had injuries, which yes, they're scary, but I think this is the year that 
it all comes together and he stays healthy. He's not like Luis Robert where he's going to be injured. Um, so 2020, the shortened season, he played 55 games. 2021, he played 55 games. And then last year, he played 84 games. But in those 84 games, he hit 16 home runs. You double that, 32 home runs with a 295 batting average. 40 runs, you turn that to 80. 54 RBIs, you turn that to 108. You're looking at somebody who's uh, round two, round three pick. I And all he has to do is stay healthy, and he's got the recipe to stay healthy. He's lost weight, playing DH, different coach, different mindset. I think just everything, it's the perfect storm for him to break out. Definitely somebody I am targeting as my second outfielder. Uh, well, I should say I'm my first option is Corbin Carroll um, for second outfielder, but he's starting to rise up draft boards fast. Um, I think on ESPN, he's ranked 40th now, which is a little too rich for me. But at that 60-70 range, give me Eloy Jimenez all day long. Um, before I move on to George Kirby and talk more about him, any any thoughts on Eloy? I know you ha you've had mixed emotions on him and Chicago White Sox players in general. Well, I think everything you said was right, and we talked last episode about the hitting coach change. You know, if you want, if you as a listener want to reference that, we we did talk about that in the last episode. Go ahead and jump in on that. Um, I just think Eloy's injuries have been kind of freak accidents. You know, this isn't something where it's like Jordan Alvarez in the wrist. It isn't something like Luis Robert where you can track it back all the way to the minors. You know, we are just banking on the fact that Eloy's injuries are similar to, say, Chris Sale. And I want to be able to buy in on him this season with the idea that, hey, this might be the last chance I'm going to buy in on you before I actually say, okay, maybe there's something wrong with the body itself. Maybe the body is too big. Maybe it's too strong. Whatever you want to really classify it as, I'm still giving you the benefit of the doubt. This is the last year, though. If we continue to see nagging injuries, I will have to put him as, you know, and a player that I'm discounting year after year now because of injury, but I do fully agree with you. Yeah, if he gets injured this year, he's getting classified in the Byron Buxton pool, and I won't touch you ever again. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess it depends on the injury. Well, well, it's yet to be seen. All right, moving on to George Kirby. Uh, if you guys have listened to the past previous podcast, you know that I am a big fan of George Kirby. Love this guy. Um, he's got the best command. Um, out of any rookie pitchers, phenomenal. His walk rate when he reached the majors was 1.52 per nine. He has just over a strikeout per nine at 9.21. But the thing that really likes I like the most about him is his ability to take the analytics and adjust. Last year, his slider wasn't getting the job done. It was acting more like a cutter, and it was getting hit hard. He changed the grip on it late August, and it dropped. He was throwing his cutter slider whatever you want to call it around 89 90 miles an hour and it was getting hit hard he changed the grip so it'd get more movement on it and it dropped to about 85 84 sitting in that range but once he did his era dropped to 248 and he had 43 strikeouts in 36 and a third innings so we see that strikeout rate increase and he's hoping to hone in on it because his location his command on it is not as great because he's adjusting to that movement but he hopes to refine that, get it in charge for this year, and then hopefully get that velocity back up to 89.90. If we see that happen, we see George Kirby with command of all his pitches. He's already got an elite fastball. You give him a wipeout pitch with a slider that's coming in at 89.90, I think we're talking about a huge breakout out of George Kirby. I think 
the ceiling for him in a best case scenario is Shane Bieber before his shoulder injuries. That's how I'm viewing it. And I think the floor is safe too. I think even though it's the floor, I think the floor is Kyle Hendricks in his prime. Gats a good command, limits um, the runs, but doesn't have the greatest strikeout potential. That's the range of outcomes, but I think he's closer to hitting that Shane Bieber prime um, and I'm all in on George Kirby. He's somebody I want to get in all my drafts. Any thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely not as bullish on Kirby as you are. For me, Kirby is definitely more of a high floor target. Um, I would love to see a breakout. I'm a little concerned about the youthfulness, where he's at with his age, where he's at with his arm age, more importantly, and just the fact that we don't have a great track record of major league pitchers breaking out um we talk about this every single season there's this you know pocket in which we really like to target guys it's usually after the the age 26 27 season and that's usually when we start to see the best ability come out but again shane bieber is a great example because he was one of the guys that did break into that prime a little bit early yes we've seen some regression but I, i do think i do think there's the opportunity there for kirby i just really need to see it uh to believe it first but I do think he's a breakout. I think where you're drafting him at, you're going to absolutely get that as a floor. And you have to look at the idea that, okay, he could he could produce better. Um, and I think you can compare him, for me at least, to an Alec Manoa because I don't think you're going to see anything more from Alec Manoa. Alec Manoa is who he is now. Great pitcher, you know, very safe guy to have in your rotation. Um, I'd agree a- with that. Age is, age is safe. But when I look at Kirby, I see there being more potential in him. And those are the guys in the draft that I want to target because they have high floors. I want to always be able to say to myself, I'm hoping for more. I know at least what I'm going to get. You know, that's got to be a strategy because if you're going to go out and win leagues, you're going to need to get value. It's the whole concept of this breakout page, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that wraps out my breakouts in the top 100 rankings. I think instead of me going through my whole list, Matt, why don't we go through the ones you want to talk about in your top 100, and then we'll we'll go back and forth. How's that sound? Yeah, and I'll, I'll be pretty quick here. I mean, you know, a lot has been talked about with, with Corbin Carroll, uh, Vinny Pasquantino, and O'Neill Cruz. So, you know, I'll just kind of really highlight these players from what the industry has, has talked about for what it seems like months now. Uh, Corbin Carroll comes in at 64 on the board and i'm telling you off the bat i think he's going to produce first round talent this year um i don't necessarily think it's going to come from power either i think this is a guy that's going to hit you absolutely minimum 270 and i'm talking about a bad year 270. i think the upside this year is probably 315. i think 315 translates to probably 80 runs because this is just not a great lineup yet you have a lot of youth coming up Jordan Lawler coming up, you know, you have Andrew Jones' son who is probably four, three, four years away from the majors. So Corbin Carroll and those counting stats are going to hurt until they can build around him and these guys can come up. But the big thing for me is going to be the stolen bases and the RBIs and the hits. I mean, everything outside of runs, I think he's absolutely going to excel at. And I think he may surprise you as well with runs if he can steal bases at the level I think he can. If he can get himself in a scoring position on a regular basis on his own accord, whether it be with doubles, triples, or singles and stolen bases, I think he could push that 90-run threshold, which at that point, to me, would put him at that first-round value. I think the RBIs are probably going to hover around 80. I'd expect about 15 home runs from him this season. I think there is the upside, the potential of 25. I'm just not yet ready to say that he's that type of player, again, because we've talked about 
on past episodes, his minor league track record was at higher altitude. Uh, he is a very powerful player, though. He barrels the ball very well, makes great contact. There's no shift this year. There is so many things to love about Corbin Carroll's profile. And in all honesty, he is a cross-league winner. I think in points, he will win you leagues. I think in categories, he will win you leagues. And I think in Roto, he will absolutely win you a championship. Roto, more than anything, with those counting stats and those stolen bases, is where I put him at first-round potential breakout. And I love Corbin Carroll. So Yeah, you know who he reminds me of? Um, I When I think of Corbin Carroll, I think of a young Trey Turner. Um, before he developed that 30 home run power. But now granted that was during the juice ball era, but I think we're getting around 300 at batting average. I easily think he gets 50 stolen bases. He gets an 80 grade run on MLB um, for the prospect rankings. And I think it's been said that he is the CBS guys have said he's the fastest ranked player in the MLB. I, I think speed, he, yeah. yeah, I think he's, I see him more hitting around 15 home runs. Um, but with that speed, if you're stealing bases second, maybe even third, I think he's going to provide plenty of runs for you, regardless of the lineup around him. So I'm all in on him. Now, let me ask you this, Matt. If he's ranked 40th in ESPN, and we're thinking he's going to break out the way he is, are you willing to spend a third or fourth round draft pick on Corbin Carroll in a oh. categories of Roto League? Well, it's not even a question. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, if I'm end of the second round, I'm probably fighting with myself not to take him. And really, it's you, you would take him over somebody like, uh, I'm trying to think like a Mike Goldschmidt. Um, yeah, you take him over those guys. Yeah. Be because he is going to provide me so much value everywhere else. Because if you think about the players that we just mentioned, Goldschmidt, Arenado, Trout, I think Trout's earlier second. Um, we'll say Riley. These guys are, you know, you're drafting them because they're going to provide you consistency with home runs, RBIs, runs, average, right? They, they're great in all of those things. Well, they're above average in all of those things. They're not great, right? They're, you know, I don't expect Riley to come out and hit me 50 home runs this season. You know, okay. So we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do a little game quick because I want to see where you at. I I got the ESPN categories ranking sheet. It's from March 6th, so it's about a week old now, but. Riley's 21. So would you take Fernando Tatis at 20 or Corbin Carroll? Ooh, I'd take Tatis. Okay, so you you're right, right around 2021, 20, you're you're thinking Corbin Carroll. Yeah. Because after that it's Austin Riley, Mike Trout at 22, Sandy Alcantara who we've already talked about at 23, Goldschmidt at 24 and then Lin, Francisco Lindor at 25 and Nolan Arenado at 26. I think the only player I would take in that list outside of Tatis is probably Trout. I don't think I could pass up Trout for, for Carroll because the ceiling that I'm looking for Carroll to get, Trout has proven to do even in 120 games. So even though there's injury concerns, I'm going to take the sure thing in Mike Trout. And it's the same position, right? A lot of these other positions we're talking about, it, it's hard to, to really look at. And I think outfielder versus outfielder is great. And I'm I'm taking Trout. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Tatis first. I'm gonna take Trout second. I'm gonna take Corbin Carroll third. But I'm taking Carroll. Oh, wow. I'm taking Carroll over all of those guys because I'll tell you right now, I think Jose Miranda comes within 50 points of Nolan Arenado this season in in uh, points, and I think there are a lot of other third basemen that are gonna surprise us, and guys that we may not even have talked about might be relevant at the end of the season. 
And I cannot find that same profile in Corbin Carroll. You know, I don't think there's going to be a Michael Harris Jr. coming up this season that's just like, oh, this guy's nice. I'm going to put, put him in my lineup, and he's going to win me a championship. So definitely the thought that uh, that I had there. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Corbin Carroll, but I can't, I can't justify taking him that high. I would, I would take those third basemen, Paul Goldschmidt, probably even Lindor over them, just because I've seen them do it. And as much as I believe in Corbin Carroll, I, I can't. If for whatever reason he were to bust out, I, I can't justify a third round pick on him. Like that's supposed to be your, your pillars, your safe guys that. Are, are there to lock down those positions and you can count on. But yeah, to each his own. I mean, I'm probably not going to get him in many leagues because of that. Um, but enough about Corbin Carroll. Let's talk about O'Neill Cruz, Matt. Obviously, you've liked him before he even broke out. What's the most you like about O'Neill? I just think the upside. And, and again, that's how I'm drafting with the idea that I want to pair what you just talked about, the balance approach with upside. And when I'm talking about possibly my first outfielder, obviously I have to build a little bit more, you know, respectfully and cautious around that if I take Carroll in round two. So, you know, pairing him with an O'Neill Cruz at 98 is a little more challenging. And I think O'Neill Cruz upside is almost the same as Corbin Carroll, if not higher. The problem is the floor is it's very low. You know, we could see realistically O'Neill Cruz hit 220 with 20 to 25 home runs. 20 stolen bases and 200 strikeouts or we could see him bat 280 335 home runs 100 rbis on a terrible pirates team with 40 stolen bases and i i just think from what we're getting from from the surrounding talent at shortstop and where he's at at 98 i would honestly expect him to push top 50 this season and honestly at a 220 20 home runs 20 stolen bases. I'm still very, very happy with that. I just think we're going to see more. I think he had a, a poor rookie season adjusting to the major leagues with his high exit velocity, as well as his contact ability shown in the minor leagues at times. I think we're looking for a player that's going to improve on his 2022 numbers. And he's essentially the, the shortstop I would be targeting in every single draft. Again, Roto categories, he's going to steal you bags. That's only a benefit. Yeah, I definitely like O'Neill Cruz. I don't think, I think he's going to come somewhere in between. I think we're looking at a 240, 250 hitter. I think he gets a 30 home runs easy. Best case scenario, he's 40, 50 home runs, but I think he's getting you 20, 30 steals. They're a great guy to have. I think he's pretty solid everywhere, but that floor is limited, but the ceiling is just so high, it's hard to pass up at that moment. Well, and listen, if he can figure out the batting average, like if, if he can hit 250, even 240 this year, let's just say he's a 240 hitter, he will turn into the next Aaron Judge. I promise you. Absolutely promise you. Yeah, I mean, he's got the same profile. And I think just from a generalization, you know, you're always looking for a guy that can be the next Aaron Judge for the simple fact that at any given time, that breakout could lead to massive success. Okay. And then the last player within my top 100 I wanted to touch on was Vinny P, uh, another industry darling. Absolutely was loved last year. Kind of scuffled when he came up. Definitely picked it up to end the season. He's in playing in the World Baseball Classic now for Italy. Very fun content if you haven't seen it. Get out there and check out Vinny P. Kind of doing a daily update and, and vlog for uh, Bleacher Report. 
as well as on Instagram. Just a fun guy, but I'm expecting a big breakout of Vinny, and I'm expecting him actually to be one of the guys that we think of next year as an absolute high ceiling player. And I think with his body size as well as his swing, any given year we could be talking about an absolute immense breakout from Vinny in regards to possibly 40 home runs. It's just a matter of does he start to elevate the ball in that direction of right field in Kauffman Stadium. And also, is that something he emphasized? He's definitely a contact first hitter. He allows the ball to jump naturally off the bat. And I think from a spray chart perspective, you're looking at a player that's always going to provide you that 300 average. I think he was at 290 last year, if I do remember correctly. But this season, I'd expect him to be right around 290, possibly pushing 25, maybe 30 home runs, looking at about anywhere from 80 to 100 RBIs. And this is a guy in all reality that's going to rival Freddie Freeman's production lower in the draft for me. I genuinely believe at the end of the year, Vinny P possibly could have the same slash line as Freddie Freeman. Obviously not as good of a lineup, so you could have some counting stats that take a hit there. But Vinny P, top 100, definite breakout for me. Yeah, I definitely like Vinny P. Uh, my, my question for you is, I know you have in our dynasty league and you're a little biased, but if you're at that time in the draft, you miss the first guys in the top three rounds and Matt Olson's sitting around 40, 50, and then you've got Jose Abreu, Vinny P and Nate Lowe in that 80 to hundred range. Who's the guy you're taking? Are you taking Vinny P out of all those guys? I think in all honesty, I'm probably taking Matt Olson, but I'm not drafting Matt Olson at his draft position. It's not happening. Like, I, because I believe in the value of Abreu and Vinny P. And, Absolutely, and I agree with that. And if I miss all three, I'm in deep shit. Um, deep shit. Because oh, yeah. at that point, I, I, don't... <laughs> I don't have a backup. Um, so I'm probably yeah. reaching on, on one of them, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, no. If I don't get... If I don't get one of Abreu, Vinny P, or Nate Lowe, I'm scrambling. I'm like, shit. Now I'm like relying on Andrew Vaughn as my first baseman, and that means I'm probably going to have to reach on him because there's no way I'm relying on an Anthony Rizzo or Christian Walker to be my first baseman in any league. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah I definitely – Nate Lowe we're getting off track. Nate Lowe is definitely the guy, though, that you're right, that I'm targeting after this because at any given point, you should be able to tell when the run is happening. And that run may just happen three, four, five picks before you where all three of these guys are gone. Now, again, I don't expect that to be the case because as soon as Matt Olson's off the board, I'm telling myself, okay, I probably have one more pick before things get really close. So depending on where I fall in the draft, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gauge it accordingly. It may be that you know Matt Olson goes at 55 and I have no choice at 56 but to take Vinny P. I'm doing that just to make sure that I have that position locked up. Again, you're going to look at the teams around you. You're going to look at draft positions, who's got what, um, you know, who's possibly taking who and how the draft is going. But I am not allowing myself to have a first baseman after Nate Lowe. Yeah, no, I agree. Definitely like Vinny P a lot. So we have uh, wrapped up our top 100, Richie. What, um, what do you have beyond the top 100 that you want to highlight for us? Yeah, so I've got a, a quite a few. There's a, a bunch here from my six through nine. So I'll go through through these guys. I got Nick Lodolo at 112. I'll let you talk about him because I know he's on your list. Then I got 116 Kodai Senga. So I know you don't really care for him as much, but Kodai Senga, he's coming over from Japan, I believe. But he is phenomenal. He's got a splitter that's been graded better than Shohei Otani's, which is his wipeout pitch. 
Baseball America gives him a 60 grade fastball, so above average. He's got great control, 50, and he's got above average curveball, a decent slider, and an okay cutter. The big issue with Kodai Senga is his injury risk and his innings limit. So I think the most he's ever had was no more than 150 innings. So he's yet to be seen. And I know you have concerns about him being in a five-man rotation, but I could see the Mets being um, very careful with him and maybe even skipping some Phantom IL stints or even giving him an extra day in between starts just to keep him fresh and so that he doesn't get injured. I like the potential here. I see an upside of something similar to you Darvish, um, and he's going outside the top 100. I think the sky's the limit for him. I really like him, and I try to get him in almost all of my drafts. Uh, just somebody I really like. Yeah, no, I, I actually love him. He is going to fall more for me and my sleepers and, you know, kind of to preference that for our next episode because we've been talking here for 40-some minutes. Um, sleepers are players I expect to outperform their draft value, similar to breakouts. The difference is their draft position for me is a steal. And meaning steal for a guy that is essentially a major league rookie is very challenging. But Kodai Singa, I think, in reality – is going to definitely outperform his draft position because I think that singular ghost fork slider is going to make life very difficult on hitters. I also think he's going to induce good ground balls. And I think as a temperamented pitcher coming over from Japan, he's going to be able to essentially get himself out of sticky situations at times if he's allowing base hits with those ground balls. Love Kodai Singa, love the strikeout ability. Uh, definitely think there's breakout potential as well as sleeper potential with him. Yeah, and then moving on, I have Jordan Walker, who's now risen up all the way to rank 120. This is somebody before he went four for four with two home runs in spring training just a few days ago. He was going outside of the top 200. The buzz has gotten unreal for him. It's almost comparable to Julio Rodriguez last year. I think as soon as the Cardinals come out and say, yeah, Jordan Walker will be our outfielder or DH or even on the opening day roster. I think he skies or he rises into the top 100. If that's the case, I don't know if he'll be. I mean, he's going to be a breakout regardless because the things that he's doing and the potential he has is phenomenal. I think he breaks into the top 50, honestly. But if he gets, it's hard. To, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, if I, am I willing to draft him at 100? That's the thing I'm trying to get. He is Either the way. perfect representation of how you can be a breakout, but you cannot be a sleeper. Like Jordan Walker is the perfect example of that because yeah. he's not. No, no one's one, sleeping, no one's sleeping on, on Jordan enough. Walker, right? But he, no matter where he goes in the draft, he can break out. And I, I think that's the beauty of this exercise here is identifying guys like that because, yeah, Jordan Walker a month and a half ago, absolute breakout sleeper potential. He lost that sleeper potential because he's hitting 500 in spring training. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't think we need to talk much more about him. And then the last one um, I have here is Jeffrey Springs. Before I pass it off to you for a few, Jeffrey Springs, we've for those of you listening, you know that I love me some Jeffrey Springs. He's got an amazing walk rate, 2.06 walks per nine. Doesn't have the greatest strikeout rate. He's got 9.58 per nine last year. The biggest thing with Jeffrey Springs is everyone's worried because he plays for the Tampa Bay Rays. He doesn't have the innings. He only was going four and two-thirds or five innings, sometimes six. 
Um, but we've talked in the past that he's been a reliever most of his career from 2018 to 2021. 20, the most innings he's pitched was 44 and two thirds. Then last year, he goes to 135 and a third. No injury concerns, never wavered, never faltered, just consistent as a cucumber. And I think those innings jumped to 170, 180, maybe 190. And we've talked on previous podcasts. I think they're going to need to rely on Jeffrey Springs because Shane McClanahan has that shoulder injury. I mean, he had it last year, I should say. He seems pretty healthy this year. But Tyler Glasnow is already dealing with injuries. They, I mean, they need somebody to eat these innings. They can't rely on all of their relievers for all of these games. And I think that's when they turn to Jeffrey Springs to eat up some of those innings and rely on him to go five, six, maybe even seven innings at a crack. Um, and with those ratios and him, I think the ceiling for him is Alec Manoa is what I would compare him to. I think that's what you're hoping he turns into. Um, I don't see much more out of him, but that's the best case scenario I see. And I will take that, especially outside the top 100 when Alec Manoa is going inside the top 75. Yeah, and and again, I think Alec Manoa is a great benchmark for these for any any breakout type player because what you're really showcasing is again a very high floor player that at the end of the day is a good SP two. Um, I don't think any of us really in the industry want to have Alec Manoa as our number one, and if you do, you're looking at a very very deep run at starting pitching after Alec Manoa. You're going to try to pair as many of those guys from 75 to probably 120 as you can. Probably looking at a guy like Kodai Senga as your number four five. Uh, probably presumably five because you're going to have a lot of those guys bunched into the middle and Springs could be your number two if you take him in that position which you talked about with draft position and I, I just think genuinely again that's what you have to look for when you talk about your strategy and and how you present your team but always looking for value um, I, I think I think Springs is going to provide it this year you know barring any injury and again the only concern I have is those innings of the past so moving along, yeah. I'm going to touch on just a couple here, um, kind of try to speed us along. MJ Melendez, I spoke about a little bit earlier. I don't want to go into too much detail there. He's at 163. I think we see a breakout. I think we start to see some more of the power develop for MJ Melendez. The lineup has gotten better. You do have Vinny P there now, so you have a little bit of protection. You have a little bit of ability to hopefully have those counting stats go up with Vinny P batting behind him. It will be interesting to see if Melendez still leads off. This was a managerial change, so you know as things change, he could be dropped down in the order. I do love him as a leadoff hitter. Obviously, the more at-bats you're getting from that catching position, the better. Uh, again, multi-position eligible, so you have the outfield, you have catcher. He's going to be playing presumably more than almost any other catcher outside of Darton Valstro. Uh, I, and I absolutely love that. I love the value at 163. I'm waiting on catcher. Again, it's a deep position. Out of all the young catchers that are beyond the ranks, uh, of our young studs, I would like to take MJ Melendez as my guy. Coming in at 164, so right after I had Reed Detmers, I think in regards to strikeouts as well as taking a step forward, we saw massive growth from Reed Detmers last season. He was an individual we talked about in our SP rankings, and I really, really, really like him as my possible number five starter. I'm going to be shooting, obviously, for the upside there. I think what we're seeing is a guy that could presumably go out and have a 10, 11, even possibly pushing 12 strikeout per nine at stretches this season. I think you have the dominant strikeout nature there. We just need to continue to see his ability to lower that ERA, lower that whip, and continue to keep his control in check. That's been a big issue for him when he struggled in the major leagues. 
Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I have Reed Detmers as a sleeper. I think he's going to improve. I don't think he's going to fully break out. MJ Melendez, the only thing that worries me is his batting average, but I agree with everything else that you said there. Yeah, and the batting average, you know, it's it's to me it's one of those things where with what he can do, I'm okay with the floor of his batting average. You know, we know now he's a he possibly can be a 2 2 uh 220 hitter. And I think even a batting 210, 220, I think he can hit you 30. I think there might be a season he gets you 35 home runs. But I also think there's a chance with, again, potential, if he can hit you 240, 250, if he can find a way to hit 260, you're talking about an immense steal and a breakout at 163. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, let's move into the the next ones. The, ne- the next guy on my list is Hunter Brown at 146. We've talked about this in the past, back in, I think, January or February. If there's somebody who I think is going to be the next Spencer Strider, it's Hunter Brown. Hunter Brown, who goes from a relief pitching role, not really in the rotation, now gets a spot, has an amazing fastball that touches triple digits, just like Spencer Strider. He's got a like one of the best curveballs rated by Baseball America. That's his wipeout pitch. He mimics everything from Justin Verlander. The only issue with him is control. Just like Spencer Strider, I think the Houston Astros can get that in check, get him to what he needs to do, and I think he's primed for a huge breakout. It reminds me also something similar to Corbin Car- or uh, Corbin Burns, not Corbin Carroll. <laughs> Um, I guess I, I guess I got to draft Corbin Carroll in all my, my drafts. But Corbin Burns, I meant to say, it reminds me a lot of him when he was in that relief pitching role and he could not command the strike zone. And then it just clicked for him as soon as he got into that starter's workload and he broke out in a big way. I'm expecting something very similar to Hunter Brown. And I think the the ceiling is ace potential and something – where we're talking about Hunter Brown as Spencer Strider of next year, and he's getting drafted in the top 30, top 40, um, yet to be seen. And then at 159, I have Tyler Stevenson, catcher for the Cincinnati Reds. This is a guy who's got a high BABIP, um, but he was on pace to be batting 280 or above is what I'm expecting. We look at 2020, he batted 294 in only eight games, but it was the shortened season. Then in 2021, 132 games, he betted 286, only 10 home runs though. But then last year in 50 games, he had six home runs and batted 319. Now his BABIP was 409. But just seeing what we're seeing from the last three years, I think you can expect high batting average. And I think you can get 15 to 20 home runs out of Tyler Stevenson at where he's going late in the draft and you miss out on catcher, I think he can easily push into the top five or top six of catcher. And that's a breakout in my mind. That's the best outcome for him. I don't see much more than that, but at where he's going, that's a breakout for me. Yeah, and it's interesting. We brought up the conversation yesterday in regards to uh, Encarnacion and what he's doing in spring training. And my first thought is that the only player I think that could negatively impact is Stevenson. You know, if they're looking to get Encarnacion's at-bats, there was chatter early this spring, earlier in February, that Stevenson would possibly be spelling Joey Votto at first, that he also might play more of his games this season at first than he did at catcher, which is surprising to a lot of people. And now here comes Encarnacion, who may make the opening day roster. 
if he continues to make an impact at the big league level, he may be the one spelling Joey Votto. Um, I do love him as a breakout. I absolutely am interested to see what playing time looks like. And again, as this Reds team gets younger, you've got to give these guys the opportunity to play. And I think Stevenson, being a former first-round pick, is a guy that you've invested a lot of money in. You've got to give him the chance to showcase what he can do. The only thing that has held him back so far in his career has been those injuries. And I think this could be the year where we finally see him actually put in 120, 130 games. And if you get that out of him, you're absolutely right. You're talking about immense breakout and sleeper potential. Yeah, I, I like that. You want me to? I've got three more. So you want me to finish up, or do you want to go ahead? No, no, no. You go ahead. I have. Um, I'm I'm working in the 190s, 200. So I think that would be a good place for us to kind of like round things out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So at 191, I have Jeremy Pena. 208, I got Riley Green, and then 212, I have Josh Young. Um, I'll let you talk about Riley Green because he's your boy, and if he's not on your sleepers list, then you need to figure something out here. But Jeremy Pena, just quickly talk, he was ALCS MVP. Um, I can't remember, was he World Series MVP too? Um, either way, in his rookie season, replacing Carlos Correa in 136 games, he batted only 253 in the regular season, but still had 22 home runs. I think he increases that batting average closer to 265, 270, maybe gets 25 to 30 home runs. I, I think that it increases with the, the added games going from 136, maybe closer to 150. Um, I, I think he broke out in a big way and everybody's sleeping on him. I mean, 191 on Scott Wright, Scott White's CBS head-to-head -head points rankings at shortstop. Now on ESPN, he's closer to 100. But you're telling me somebody who was ALCS and did phenomenal in the World Series and we're just sleeping on him? I mean, I think I think he was already working on a breakout. We'll see what happens in the World Baseball Classic, but definitely somebody I'm very interested in. I think he can provide you in all categories. Had 11 stolen bases last year. And then, well, do you want to say anything before I move on to Josh Young? Yeah, I love Pena, and I think there's absolutely room for growth. Um, he was World Series MVP. He was actually okay, not okay. Uh, Championship Series so MVP. I, so I had him mixed up. But okay. his performance in the World Series, I actually brought him his stats up the other day because I was trying while doing this list. He's on mine as well. I was just trying to gauge exactly what happened last year and like what led to such success. If you look at his MVP performance, um, no, you're right, Richie. He was... My apologies. He was MVP of the ALCS as well. So he won both back-to-back, -back, um, which is pretty yeah. incredible. Uh, two batted 400. Yep. Two, two home runs you have in the ALCS. Um, I mean, that in itself is incredible. Had only one home run in the World Series, but he did bat 400. You know, you look at the singular three RBIs there. You know, I think it was more of the production, the glove as well. He had 10 hits. They were timely hits. Essentially, what I took from his postseason performance was we can look for a batting average increase this season. And if you can give me three more home runs, bat 280, 25 home runs in that lineup, probably 90 runs, probably 90 to 100 RBIs, it's a steal. Absolutely. Yeah, somebody, if I'm waiting on shortstop, which I, I tend to do, I mean, my, my main go-tos are Carlos Correa, Jeremy Pena, and O'Neill Cruz. Those are the guys I like the most, and I'm probably getting one of them as, as long as I'm not in our dynasty league because those guys are already gone. But outside of that, those are the guys I'm, I'm going for, for sure. 
Yeah, and for me, I have. I just want to make sure I reference this correctly. I have Jeremy Pena for me as a sleeper, not necessarily a breakout, because I think what he did last year, like you kind of just said it, was kind of a great season, especially for a rookie. Uh, I think breaking out beyond what we just talked about for his slash line from 2022 is a, is a superstar, um, an absolute superstar. I'm not yet ready to say that. I need to see a little bit more. I think there's absolutely opportunity with the World Series MVP, ALCS MVP, like all of those things playing in it and just topping his performance. Like he could be a guy that breaks out. I'm just not yet ready to foreshadow that. I do like your take. Okay. I, I don't think it's wrong. It's just, you know, there are going to be players we believe in differently. And um, I see I see the window you're looking out of. I don't, I'm just not in the same room. All right, um, Matt. Let's Jeremy Pena or Tim Anderson. Oh, that's not even a question, Jeremy Pena. Okay, Jeremy Pena or Xander Bogarts. Oh, oof, Bogarts. Really? Yeah, just because Bogarts. he's on the Padres? Or yeah. I don't think he's hitting any home runs. Yeah, I... I I disagree. I think he puts – I've changed a lot of my opinion with Bogarts in, like, even the last week. I think he's going to easily hit 20 home runs this season. And um, What's your I, reasoning? I know we're getting off topic, but I want to know. He's done it before. He's done it before. So I, I think he can do it again. Um, and I think in that lineup, he's going to see a lot of fastballs. You know, you're surrounded by superstars. And who would I rather pitch to? You know, Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto. Or Xander Bogarts. I'm throwing Xander Bogarts a fastball. And Manny Machado, don't forget Manny, and Manny Machado. And Manny Machado. Like, who am I throwing a <laughs> fastball to? It is Xander Bogarts. So with that concept alone, I feel like he'll, he'll get to that 20 th- home run threshold. We know he's mm. going to hit 300. You know, like the ceiling for Pena, I think you have a little more power. But I think with Bogarts, you have more of that all-around game off the bat. Okay. Jeremy Pena or Wander Franco? Franco. Ooh, Franco just because I think there's higher – yeah, Wander Franco, overall game. Okay, and then the next one is O'Neill Cruz, but we already know the answer to that. Okay, yeah. we'll move on to my last breakout, and at 212, that is Josh Young, somebody I am very high on. Um, I know in the last time we talked about Josh Young, I, I can't remember what the context was. Maybe it was third base, but I referenced a Baseball America interview. I found it this time for the podcast listeners, and after his shoulder surgery, He was quoted, I was just going up there, putting so much pressure on myself just to make contact, he said. And once you start focusing on that stuff, you start doing exactly what you don't want to do. I was going up there like, I don't want to strike out. Well, that's probably what's going to happen because when you're focused on it, that's exactly what I fell into. And we talk about this with manifestation. If you're going up there thinking, don't strike out, don't strike out, don't strike out, what are you going to do? You're going to strike out. So he said he just put so much pressure on himself not to do that. And he just had a mental fix, embracing the the pressure and just taking it off of him and refinding his swing. And he said, finally, it happened in January. Quoted, I kind of found it and I was like, oh, there it is, he said. And it was just like, yeah, I'm confident. I'm ready to go. And we're seeing that I saw him hit a moonshine off of, um, I think it was an athletics pitcher in spring training and his swing looks normal. It doesn't look like he's pressing at the plate. I think he's primed for the breakout that we thought was going to happen last year. I don't think we're going to see the 38.2% strikeout rate he had in those 26 games. And he still had nine or five home runs in those 26 games, even with that absurd strikeout rate. I expect it to be closer to 20, 25, which is still a little too high. But 
I think we're looking at an average, probably realistically 250, 260, but I think he can hit 25, 30 home runs. And I, I think the sky's the limit for this guy, and I want to get him everywhere. Yeah, and um, you know, I I don't think I've ever heard the metaphor moonshine home run, but um, I love that. Um, I might have to oh, moonshot. Moon I think I was going for moonshot. We're going for moonshot, which I actually like moonshine <laughs> yeah. home run a lot better because definitely in Texas they're drinking their moonshine. But uh, Richie, I and maybe I need some moonshine. <laughs> I fully agree. I I like Josh Jung this year. Um, I, and I think we loved him going into last year. The injury is hard and. I think you said it best. It's really hard when you're trying to make an impact when you're a young player, a young professional, no matter what you're doing, to fall into habits of overpressure and falling into a negative thought pattern. And I definitely agree and think with that that interview that he gave, it was the perfect analogy. And honestly, it's the difference in a lot of players making it in the major leagues and not. And I think you look at the struggles of Jared, uh, Jared Kelnick over the last couple of years, Joe Adele. You know, I would have to imagine a lot of it is more mental than it is physical because we've seen them perform perform physically. You can put Cody Bellinger as a major league veteran into that classification as well. We've seen him win an MVP. Sure, there's some holes in the swing, but we know he can be a startable player. And if you look at the last couple of years, you can't really say that it's from his numbers. So it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back. The fact that he was able to make that, make that notation is really good. I only have a couple more players here to highlight. Uh, you talked about Riley Green, obviously, before we get to Riley Green, Jose Miranda at 190. I think there is absolutely immense value here. Uh, I don't love the underlying statistics for Jose Miranda. I think he's just going to be one of those players that doesn't always correlate to the underlying numbers. You look at his track record in the minor leagues, there was power there, there was contact there, there was the ability for him to be an absolute useful player. I think we see it this season. Injury will be a big uh, factor in his development as well. Obviously, he's dealing with a shoulder injury. They're talking about having him play DH, possibly play first base. I think he'll be on the field. But my concern is if that thing lingers, it may start to affect his power, might start to affect his ability to be on the diamond, which then plays into, okay, where's the value if he's not on the field? But currently, I love Jose Miranda. I think there's 25 home run upside. I think there is 280 batting average upside. I think there's 90 RBI upside. I think there is 80 run upside. And I will tell you right now, if he does that, he will fall 50 points away from Nolan Arenado. And that is at 190 draft position. Absolute monster steal in a position that is not very deep this season in third base, where you're going to need to find value late in the draft if you don't go out and target a Manny Machado, a Austin Riley. So keep him in mind. I think this is a player that will possibly win leagues. And then that leads right into 208, uh, Riley Green. Very similar approach to the breakout that I expected from him last year from what I'm expecting from him this year. Possible 290 to 300 hitter. I think your floor is about 280. I think we'll see probably 17 to 20 home runs. I'm a little more confident in Green's power than I am Carroll's power, especially having a little bit more major league experience under his belt. I think we'll, we'll see green run a little bit more this year i would expect at least 20 stolen bases out of him where he's going to hurt is the counting stats this tigers lineup is bad spencer torkelson has not developed the way we thought he would these two were supposed to be paired together be dominating together and unfortunately it just seems like riley green's going to be the guy as opposed to torkelson so again at 208 this is a guy that i'm looking at as a possible replacement level fourth outfielder uh, five outfielder leagues. I'd love for him to be my fifth outfielder. I think you're talking about having a very solidified outfield, but I think in reality, he's probably your four. And again, a guy that could provide you some speed, some average, 
Um, but again, those runs and RBIs just unfortunately are not going to be there this year for Green. Last two names I have quickly touch on um, Brandon Fott for Arizona, strikeout leader in the minor leagues last year at 238. I think he could provide you a four ERA, will provide you the strikeouts, could develop into a dynasty big time asset. Uh, definitely a 238, you know, worth a flyer. And then last one I want to mention, Richie, before you wrap your list up is my guy, my new acquisition, Anthony Volpe at 298. I expect this number to climb and climb fast because I do think he will make the Yankees opening day lineup. He is showcasing his ability for contact on the field as well as his ability to showcase the power. I think he truly is the whole package. It's just a matter of where did the Yankees play him? Where do they start him to start off 2023? Yeah, I like I like most of what you said. I think Anthony Volpe is more of a sleeper. I don't we've talked about this in the past. I don't know if I fully am invested in Anthony Volpe as being what everybody thinks he's going to be kind of the same way that I didn't believe in Bobby Witt and I still don't believe in Bobby Witt. And we've talked about that in the past. I think everything you said about Riley green is spot on the changes they made to Comerica park and just him being reliant on power an extra year, not being injured. I think that just bodes well for him. And then lastly, love Miranda pick. I'd love to have Miranda and Josh Young because they go so similarly. But if you had to pick just one, put our Dynasty League aside because I have Young, you have Miranda. Who are you taking in redraft leagues, Miranda, Miranda or Young? Miranda. And, it, and it, I'm telling you right now, it's only because I believe in the average. I think Miranda can hit 300. And I have no basis off this. I'm just telling you, I think he is a professional hitter. All right, now Miranda or Matt Chapman? Now, we like Chapman because of his contract year, but what do you think? Oh, that's not even a question. Miranda, upside. Still Miranda? Okay. Uh, I just have the ESPN list right in front of me, so I'm going to go. I think I know what it's going to be. Miranda or Max Muncy? Ooh, ooh, Miranda, I think he's safer. And that, that's assuming you're playing Muncy at third base, not second yeah. base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this one should be easy because we don't like this guy, but Miranda or Angelino Suarez? Miranda. All right, Miranda or Alex Bregman? Bregman, no question. I'm not dumb. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Just want, I just want to, just trying to gauge how high yeah, no, you're no, willing no. to go. And when you said Suarez, like, I had a double take. I'm not touching Suarez. No, I don't know why he's so high on ESPN so, rankings. So, like, in that situation, I, I totally get it but at the same time um and Eugenio Suarez should go behind Matt Chapman in my opinion I'm taking Chapman Young Miranda Muncie all over Suarez yeah um yeah full, fully agree with that so in in all I I would imagine waiting for Miranda waiting for Jung if I have to you know like th that's where I'm sitting because again if I if I can't get Bregman I'm just sitting back because I believe in both of them so much. And honestly, I'm stoked for either. I, 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 don't, I don't really care if I get one of them. I'm happy because I know what I'm going to get. Yeah. The only thing is it's like you have the concern for both. Current injury with the shoulder, coming mm -hmm. off an injury to the shoulder. So yeah. it's like. Don't I, scare me. Don't scare I, me. It's, it's, it's great I to mean, have a couple personally, of young guys. Personally, I want one of those top five third basemen. Jose Ramirez, Manny Machado. Devers, Riley, or Arenado. If I don't get one of them in the first two rounds, I'm going to be upset, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to pass on Gunnar Henderson personally. We'll get to it on bus, but I think Gunnar Henderson is going to be a bus this year. Alex Bregman, I just 
for where he's going, I, I'd rather pick other players, and I'd rather wait and grab a Max Muncy or Jose Miranda or Josh Young, and then just pair him up like with two of them, get Young and Miranda, and hope one of them hits. Just double your luck. See, I'm the opposite. I don't want to touch a single one of the top third basemen. I don't want them unless I'm forced. Again, draft position is big. If I'm put in a position where, you know, I'm trying to decide whether I'm drafting a second outfielder or Freddie Freeman or Manny Machado, I have no choice. You know, if I okay. if I have to, I'm taking him. But it's because I have absolutely so much faith in Jose Miranda and Josh Young. I'm okay not taking those guys. If I didn't believe in these two the way I did, you're absolutely damn right I got to take one of those guys. But I genuinely believe these two players are going to come very close to what Nolan Arenado is going to do. Now, Riley is a variant because he could be great or he could have a low floor. We've seen that. Machado, of course, is an absolute superstar. And I think Devers as well. So you're safe with those guys, but I'm not taking Arenado if I can have Miranda. No way in hell. Okay. Miranda or Gunnar Henderson? Gunnar Henderson. You get, I got to go Henderson. Okay. Well, then I'm assuming you're going ja- uh, Gunnar Henderson over Josh Young. Yes. Yeah, I I just think there's. I mean, I I would take I would take him over it, but where he's going, I'm not taking him. Correct, correct. I'm not taking Gunnar Henderson in the top seventy-five, but if I'm just comparing him, yeah. Yeah, no question. And that in that equation, you know, I'm I'm taking one. I'm taking Riley or Devers. You know, like I'm gonna go after one of the big guys. But no, Henderson is again. He can be a breakout, but he can't be a sleeper. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Well, I think that wraps us, Richie. Um, we had a, a very, very great episode here. We did want to do a lot more, and we didn't come close. So um, look forward to our next episode. We have our sleepers preview. Um, we will dive deep into all of our sleepers for the 2023 season, as well as our busts. Uh, I think our sleepers is definitely longer than our busts, but we do have some names on our bust list that I think are really important to touch on. And, you know, we will get closer to opening day. So we will also have a recap of the spring training festivities and everything that's gone on. That will be later in March as we approach the regular season. And we will have more updates on the World Baseball Classic. But again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you again next time.